That's right, Aaron. You come to the end of that scripture and you say, my God. <laughs> it's one of the worst passages in the New Testament. You couldn't have chosen a worse, pa I couldn't have chosen a worse passage for baptism day. All that stuff about you have, don't love your mother and father. Oh, I'm sitting back there just groaning. Um, we're we're going to unpack all of that in just a minute. Um, what a glorious day with these babies. And I think you already know that there's nothing I like better than being interrupted by a baby in a sermon. So just everybody relax and... You know, if you want to just bring them up here while I'm preaching, that'd be fine too. Okay. So about eight years ago, a theologian that many of you are familiar with, you may have even seen him speak in this sanctuary many years ago, is Marcus Borg. And he died about eight years ago. And when he died, there was a cartoon done about his meeting God. And it is absolutely a favorite of mine. So it's a very traditional vision of what it might be like when someone arrives in heaven. Marcus Borg is standing down here, and God's up here, and he's a he, and he's got a big beard, and he's sitting in a throne. And Marcus, uh, God says to Marcus Borg, thank you for saying you didn't know. Thank you for saying you didn't know. Marcus Borg was willing to say, I don't know. That cartoon, by the way, was done by an artist named David Hayward. He's on the internet as the naked pastor, which is not what you think it might be. Uh, he tells, the reason behind it was that he, uh, he tells the naked truth about the life of faith and the journey of faith. Standing in this sanctuary some years ago, Marcus Borg was asked what he believed about the afterlife. And he said, when it comes to the afterlife, I'm an agnostic. I don't know. But what I do know is I was born into God and I will die into God. And that is enough for me to know. And since I heard that, I have repeated it in every funeral and memorial service I have done because it is the power of the naked truth. So I was thinking about Marcus Borg as I considered this sermon entitled Invitation, Cultivate, Don't Know Mind. This is the fourth and last sermon in my series based on the book The Five Invitations by Frank Ostaseski. Here's what Ostaseski says about don't know mind. When we enter a situation with don't know mind, we have a pure willingness to do so without attachment to a particular view or outcome. Don't know mind is equivalent to entering the world with fresh eyes to empty our minds and open our hearts. Another way to express the notion of don't know mind is beginner's mind. You may have heard that in association with uh, Zen principles. So we're going to talk about what it is and what it is not. We'll start with what it is. Don't know mind is about curiosity. It's about openness. It's about humility. 
It's the exact opposite of being a know-it-all. And I know what that looks like because I can be a know-it-all. What it is not, don't know mind is not an absence of knowledge or training or expertise or intelligence. This is not an invitation to abandon critical thinking. Please don't do that, not even in church, especially in church. Those things are very, very important. So it's, it's not an invitation to abandon critical thinking. It's an invitation to widen the lens. There's a very old story about a Zen teacher that I'll bet you've heard before. A professor of world religions goes to meet the Zen master. And the professor is very knowledgeable about many, many things. And he goes in to meet this Zen master, and he says, I've come to learn from you. And he sort of goes through all his credentials and his interests, and, and the Zen master says, all right, well, let me pour you a cup of tea. And he pours the cup, and he keeps pouring, and the cup fills, it's overflowing, it's dripping all over the table, spilling all everything, and the professor says, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. And the Zen master says, I cannot put anything to you, into you if your cup is already overflowing with all of your knowledge. There has to be an openness, a space for learning new information. That's what it means to have a don't know mind. Here's Frank Ostaseski again. Don't know mind is beyond knowing and not knowing. It is off the charts of our conventional ideas about knowledge and ignorance. It isn't limited. I am absolutely convinced that curiosity is one of the great and most sacred gifts of God to all of us. Curiosity led a group of medical researchers to wonder whether the polio virus could fight cancer. Now, just sit with that for a minute. The polio virus killed thousands and thousands of people over centuries. Some of you remember this time. I remember getting the first vaccine for polio. Do you remember or have you seen pictures of people in iron lungs? Like giant cylindrical things that people stayed in their whole lives to keep them breathing? So this was a horrendous thing in the history of humanity. And then these people come along and say, well, let's just inject it into people's brains and see how that works out. And people said they were crazy. I'm not using that word like facetiously, people said, that's just a crazy idea. And now there are patients who are saying it is a miracle. Doesn't work for everybody. Still in the testing phase. But they're injecting it into tumors of glioblastoma, which is a horrendous brain cancer. The discovery, the curiosity, 
the determination, the resilience, the persistence to push forward with this research is the ultimate don't-know-mind story. So let's apply it to our text for today. What a doozy. I mean, really, this is a really rough text. I mean, I, when I realized that this was the text that fell on today, I said, you know what? I'm going to pick something else. It's bleak. It's just bleak. But what I realized was there's no better example of why we must come to even our biblical scriptures, our most sacred texts, with a sense of don't know mind. What is this about? Why are these words even in the Bible? Jesus is saying, I have not come to bring peace. I have come to set family members one against another. You can't love your parents. You can't love your children. I mean, this is a guy who said, come love everybody, right? Love your neighbor, love everybody. And now he's like telling you all these people who are closest to you not to, lo not to love them. It, it, it boggles the mind. It's really dark. What's going on here is called, here's your New Testament trivia for the day. This is a missionary discourse. Jesus is sending the disciples out to spread what they know is good news for humanity. But Jesus also wants them to know that this is going to be a hard road to hoe. I mean, this is not going to be easy. And families will be separated by this conflict over should we follow the new guy or stay with the old tradition. It was going to be tough, and he's trying to prepare them for that. And speaking in really extreme language, I suspect, to get their attention. But you know, when you think about it, it's really not so far-fetched. The division and the anger in our world today is not so different from what this passage is describing. I mean, this passage fits as well for today as it did 2,000 years ago. Families are turning against each other. Families, there are some families that can't have a holiday meal together anymore, whether they're arguing about guns or politics or religion or uh, transgender, whatever. So we know that these divisions are very real in our moment today. I really like what the Reverend Dr. Cleo LaRue says about this. Now, these are his words. The Christ whom God has sent among us does not come to usher in an era of peace, but rather an era of engagement and challenge, where convictions will be tested and decisions made about the things that matter in this life, even as creation along with humanity groans for redemption. The struggle is not an easy burden to bear. And so every day, says Reverend LaRue, we must pray, Dear Lord, strengthen us where we are weak, build us up where we are torn down, and prop us up on every leaning side. Oh my goodness, I love that sentence. Prop us up on every leaning side. So much of the turmoil in our world, maybe all of it, has to do with difference. 
in spite of the fact that we are all so much more the same than we are different. But that's what so much of the turmoil is about. So who here has seen the new animated Disney movie, Elemental? Oh man, you guys gotta see this movie. <laughs> you have got to see this movie. Um, it's, it's animated. It's set in a place called Element City, where the elements live together. Fire, land, or earth, water, and air. And everyone knows we all live by one simple rule. Elements cannot mix. They live together in the city, but sort of on parallel paths. We all live by one simple rule. The elements cannot mix. You might think you know where this is headed, right? I mean, it's a Disney movie. I'm going to stop here and say that two of the movie's writers are John Hoberg and his wife, Kat Lickle. Now that name should be familiar to you, especially y'all back here. John is the son of John and Judy Hoberg. I think Judy's here somewhere. There you are. Who are members of this church. And John's sister is Leanne Easterling. She's the director of the Early Childhood Ministries and the Mary Evans Development Center. So these, this is family of First Community Church, and as I said, Kat Lickle is his wife. They are two of the primary writers of this movie. So you have to go see this movie, people. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you it's a great movie, but these are, this is family here, so you got to go see the movie. Anyway, they live by one simple rule, the elements cannot mix, except when they fall in love. So we have Wade, the goofy, go-with-the-flow, pardon the pun, water guy. Wade is water. Wade in the water. I just got that this morning, by the way. <laughs> and we have Ember, the fiercely independent, fiery young woman. Someone at nine from the congregation said it so I wouldn't have to. They said, Ember's hot. <laughs> so water and fire fall, eventually fall in love. I should have said spoiler alert, but you know, you could have figured this out five minutes into the movie, I think. There's so many, you, can, you could understand this movie on so many levels. You could see it as being about inclusion of the LGBTQ plus community. You could see it about inclusion of folks who are uh, physically different or disabled. And I don't think that's the right word anymore, I apologize. Um, it's about the immigrant experience and people from different ethnic backgrounds and cultures trying to get to know each other and, and blend their lives. So you can see this in a lot of ways. But you know, water and fire, wade and ember, think about it, they can also wipe each other out. Water can extinguish fire. 
fire can turn water into steam and make it just disappear and float away. So, the characters fire and water, wade and ember, fall in love. And there is a climactic scene where water and fire touch hands. And nothing disastrous happens. No steam, no fire extinguished. They both remain fully themselves. And Wade says, we changed our chemistry when we touched. We changed our chemistry when we touched. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If a couple came into, a young couple, newly in love, came into me for premarital counseling and they said, We changed our chemistry when we touched, I'd be like, We got, we're going to unpack that a little bit because you've got a lot of life ahead of you after you get married, and, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk this through. We'll remember that it's a metaphor. And when I, w- when I heard that sentence in the movie, I was sitting in the theater with two seven-year-old boys, and I was so glad they didn't have any additional questions about chemistry <laughs> and what that might mean. And to be perfectly honest with you, Inside my head, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. We touched and we changed our chemistry. And then my own sermon title came back to me, and I said, cultivate, don't know, mind. What if? What if connection through love with another person could change the dynamic, could change the connection, could change the chemistry of families, of communities, of churches, of countries, of humanity. What if, what if, take your don't know mind and kick it into gear, what if we could change our chemistry when we touched? Who's to say it couldn't? Who's to say? We're going to go back to Pastor Cleo's prayer. Dear Lord, actually, I think this is a great prayer for new parents, too. Strengthen us where we are weak. Build us up where we are torn down. And prop us up on every leaning side. We all have lots of leaning sides. Maybe don't know mind can help us. I think it can. Amen.